You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham. Whether you're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Anchor, wherever you're listening, wherever you're viewing, thank you for joining us. I encourage everybody to check us out on YouTube. Please subscribe there. Even if you're listening to this right now on uh, Apple or Spotify or anything else, please subscribe on YouTube. I am very excited for today's show. Um, I've been having these thoughts in my mind for a while. I'm going to really expound on stuff I talked about yesterday. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to yesterday's podcast, I suggest that you do. It was a short one. It was only like 25 minutes, but... It was really good. I lit Kyrie Irving up. Um, he's again MIA. He's got personal issues, whatever. He's not playing. Um, but I want to expound on a couple of things today. One, uh, the NBA is just too player friendly. It really is. And I know that's like a totally unpopular opinion among the media because they're all scared to death of the players. But the NBA is way too player friendly. So I'm going to get into that. And secondly, we talked about Draymond Green yesterday and his outrageous claim that he is the greatest defender of all time. And I said that he, uh, I instantly knew that he was for sure not in the top 10. Uh, I've done a lot more research and I can confirm that. We're going to go through my Mount Rushmore of NBA defenders. I'm also going to go and break down my top three all defensive teams, first, second, and third all defensive teams. So let's start though with the, with the Jazz game last night because that's going to play into how the, the league is two player friendly. The Jazz had a game last night, kind of. Uh, They played the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, as you know, are a pretty hot ticket in town. Um, They're a team that uh, a lot of fans look forward to coming into town. I know as a as a as a fan here in Utah, I actually was was this close um, to buying a six thousand dollar suite for this game, and thank goodness I did not. But the Jazz last night, the score they won by a mere thirty points is all. It's very close, very competitive game. Very entertaining for the fans, you know. 118 to 88 was the final score. And I did watch the game at home. Uh, I worked on my laptop most of the time, but I did watch the game from home. But uh, Joe Ingles looked good, uh, by the way. I had a note here, just his his quick release. I mean, he can catch the ball like at his forehead and immediately just go into his left-handed shot there. Um, very impressive. I mean, the plus minus on some of these guys for the Nets, like they, we've got a guy, Tyler Johnson was a minus 44 in the box score yesterday. <laughs> this was an absolute shellacking. It was a matchup of the two best teams in the NBA, the Jazz and the Nets. Um, obviously, the Nets don't have one of the best, re- they don't have the second best record, but they're right there. They're considered the favorite and the Jazz have just had the best record in the NBA. This should have been a made for TV primetime game, which is how it was slated. You know, it was eight o'clock. 7 p.m. on the West Coast, 10 p.m., kind of a late game on the East Coast, but 8 o'clock here in Utah. Should have been a really good, competitive, awesome game between two powerhouses, right? No, instead, the Jazz blow the Nets out by 30. Um, Donovan Mitchell had 27. You know, forget the box score. Who cares? The Jazz won by a lot. So here's the things that came to mind. Um, No Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving, no James Harden, no Blake Griffin. Joe Harris played for a few minutes. Uh, DeAndre Jordan didn't play much. Let me see how much DeAndre Jordan played. DeAndre Jordan played 12 minutes. It was just a total letdown 
okay? You already don't have very many fans in the stands. You've already got the announcers sitting at home in front of like arcades doing the, you know, doing the play-by-play from, from like a, it's not even a home office it looked like. I don't know what it was, but total disappointment, total letdown. The Jazz, by the way, I am happy to say they now allow 5,600 fans in the stadium, which is the most in the NBA. So kudos to the Jazz. I hope we see that continue to increase. The Big Ten announced they're going to have fans uh, this fall for football and stuff. Should be Full, uh, filled stadiums, but anyway, um, I had a good friend that was at the game last night. He actually called in and left us a message. You can do that on the Anchor app or on anchor.fm slash Take. but it works better if you go to the Anchor app and you can actually record a message and send it in and I can include it in the podcast. And someone who was at the game last night who did pay big money to be there, um, here's what he had to say. What's up, Sean? Hey, I uh, love the podcast. I just want to call. I think it's terrible what the Nets did last night. Coming into Utah, they're scared. They didn't play any of their starters. Durant didn't play. Kyrie didn't play. Harden didn't play. Joe Harris played like four minutes. DeAndre Jordan played like 12 minutes. Blake Griffin didn't play. Even Spencer Dinwiddie, I know he's not been playing all city all season, but none of those guys played. They're scared. They're bums. Um, I think it's just unfortunate for the fans to get excited. It's our only chance to see KD and these guys, and, and they sit it out. I wonder what you think the league should do, if anything, or what can they do to prevent these guys from uh, screwing over opposing team fans. And the last point I'll make, if I just wanted to watch my team beat up on a bunch of nobodies every week, I would be a BYU football fan. All right, thanks, man. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Okay. <laughs> so thank you, Dave, for the call. That uh, that last part there, that's a personal jab. The BYU thing, that's very funny. I went to BYU. Um, okay, so there's a guy that was at the game. He paid money to be at the game with friends. And he gets totally hosed. He's not there to watch Tyler Johnson and I don't even know these guys. I don't even know these names. You know, Lua Wawu, Kabaro. Like, I don't know who that guy is. I'm, he's in the NBA. Congrats. You're a great athlete, I'm sure. I didn't play. I didn't pay money to see you play. I didn't even sit on my couch to see you play. Um, we were there to see the stars. We're there to see Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris. All the guys that didn't play, that's who we wanted to see play. And so the league has just gotten so soft, you know. In fact, uh, Kelly Oubre made a comment the other day. They were talking about the GOAT. And Kelly Oubre said that he doesn't think anybody that plays today could even be considered in the GOAT conversation because we're just too soft. He said that about his own generation, his own, uh, you know, co-workers, if you will, you know, his own colleagues. And he, he said that would be disrespectful to, to Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, um, so Jordan's the goat. We know that, but even a guy playing today says they're just too soft. I think that the league has gotten way too player friendly. Why is the league putting up with this? Dave, you asked something about what do I think the league should do? They should crack down on this. It's their product. Look at what the NFL does. The NFL has it figured out to where the players definitely have a lot of power. They get paid tons of money, but the NFL is the entity that oversees all of it. They run the show. The NBA is getting way too relaxed. The players have way too much control. You can just be upset and demand a trade, and before you know it, you're on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you can sit out games whenever you want. Kawhi Leonard, kind of, in my opinion, really started this down the wrong path by with all his quote-unquote load management. That was never a thing. I started looking up uh, some of the older players. Like I, don't, I went to like MVP caliber players like Michael Jordan, Carl Malone. Carl uh, Malone played 19 seasons. 17 of those seasons, he played 80 games or more. 17 seasons, he played 80 games or more. 10 of those, he played all 82. 
And then there were seven seasons where he played 80 or 81. And he probably was just suspended for those, you know? So 17 years, Carl Malone played 80 games or more. 17. Michael Jordan, nine times, nine times, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, nine times Michael Jordan played all 82 games, including a season where he turned 40. The guy turned 40 in one of the seasons and played all 82 games. Um, three times he played 78 or more. So, well, other, so 12 times. So, so 12 times he played 78 or more and nine of those were all 82 games. Okay. So we really only played what 13 real seasons because he had the, the baseball thing that we don't count. He came back for 17 games. That's counted as like a season, but he came back towards the end of it and he had been retired. So that doesn't count. Then he did break his foot one year. And then he did have an injury at age like 38. Um, I think it was a knee issue with the wizard. So Jordan MVP, five-time MVP, six-time champion, the goat of goats, the face of the entire league still to this day, played all 82 games nine times and played 78 or more games 12 times in his career. Larry Bird, who's known for being injury prone. Larry Bird was known for having back problems and things like that. He played all 82 games three times. He, he played 70 games or more uh, seven times. Magic Johnson played 77 games or more eight times. LeBron James has played all 82 games once. Kyrie Irving has never played more than 75 games. Kyrie Irving's entire career, he has never played more than 75 games. Now, here's what I'm going to say. If you are legitimately injured, then yes, sit out. Sit out. That's fine. I, I get that. If you want to prolong your career, I get that too. But that's where the league needs to do something. The league needs to either say, look, okay, these guys are choosing to prolong their careers. The, the, their product, the league is putting out a product. We're paying big money to be there. Uh, sponsors are paying big money. Obviously, the networks are paying big money. And the product needs to be top-notch. Last night was a garbage, garbage performance by the NBA. And it's because they allowed James Harden to sit out. They allowed Kyrie Irving to just take get more PTO. I mean, how much PTO do these guys need? You know, the average, they've already got like five months PTO every year. The average American gets two weeks PTO. So how much PTO do these players need? I mean, you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars. And you are getting paid by us, the fans, and by us, the media. Like, those are the people paying the money because the money all filters from the fans to the media to the teams and from the teams to the players. Like, that's how it works. Like, there's a reason, you know, there's all this uh, argument right now. I see it every now and then. I saw side by side last night. In fact, one of our uh, very loyal listeners and viewers, John Heath, sent me this. But it's a side-by-side of Sue Bird and uh, LeBron James and how, like, they've both got four titles and, you know, multiple MVPs and um, kind of similar accolades, uh, but yet their pay is so, so different, right? Like, LeBron makes tens of millions and Sue Bird, I think, makes 215 grand. And I get that, right? Like, I get the equal pay thing, but that is an apples-to-oranges comparison, like a complete and total apples to oranges comparison where, I mean, she's not in the, she's not in the NBA. She's in the WNBA. They don't have the viewership. And so the NBA is putting out this product that we think is going to include a LeBron James. And if he wants to get paid that money, then he should have to play. Right. And the same thing goes like if the WNBA commanded the same viewership and the same revenue that the NBA does, then obviously Sue Bird would get paid a lot more. You know, um, just because I sit here behind a microphone doesn't mean I should get paid what Colin Cowherd gets paid, right? Because I don't command the viewers that he commands. So, 
So you got to compare apples to apples with that. But the point of that comparison is not just to say that Subaru doesn't deserve the LeBron James money, even though she doesn't. Another unpopular opinion, but it's just a fact. Like those are economics. Like if you want women to get paid more, then go to their games, watch on TV, buy their jerseys, get your friends to do the same, hope that they get their friends to do the same, eventually get to the point where you have millions and millions of people that are, the the, the demand for women's basketball is really, really high, and then they'll get paid more. It's really, really simple. That's, that's just simple economics. It's not a sexist thing, just like it's not sexist if there's a female podcaster out there making more money than me. If she has more viewers, I hope she is making more money because that's just how life works. So, um, okay. But the point is, these guys are getting paid all this money and the NBA isn't requiring them to play. Like, they're not requiring them to play. So require that Kyrie Irving play. Like, why should Kyrie not get fined for this? Why should he not have to lose serious pay? If any job in the world that I can think of, if you're getting paid tons and tons of money to perform a task and you just say, you know what, I just don't want to do it today, there's going to be repercussions. But for whatever reason in the NBA, there's not because everybody's scared to death of them. The media is scared to death of them. The coaches are scared to death of them. They've got too much power. I even think Adam Silver is too scared. Even Adam Silver seems to be too scared. David Stern was a guy who really put the hammer down. There was that malice in the palace, you know, where Ron Artest and, uh, you know, who else was was it on the Pacers? They're, they're going into the stands in Detroit and beating up fans. Steven Jackson. Ron Artest and Steven Jackson, you know, they're beating up fans. And David Stern's just like... Uh, okay, this is not the product we want to be putting out. Everyone's going to hate us now. We're going to lose money. We're losing the respect of, of the general public. And he changes things, right? He, he enforces a dress code and he did all these things to make them act like professionals. And you know what? It's his league. He can do that. You know, the owners, they own the league. They own the teams. Uh, the commissioner is there for a reason. Like the NFL has done this. They've made the regular season important. They make you abide by a certain code of conduct and they enforce it. There's repercussions if you don't. And the regular season matters and therefore the viewership, I mean, a regular season NFL game viewership is better than the NBA finals games. And there's a reason for it. It's just a better product that they're putting out. I love the NBA with a passion. Like I love it with all my heart. I really do. In fact, if I'm being honest, I think I like it more than I like the NFL, but they have got to improve this. They have got to change this. We cannot have people paying. I almost paid six grand for a suite. Okay. Think if I, and I was, I had texted friends and said, Hey, this is after the all-star break. Kevin Durant's going to be back. Okay. If he's really hurt, of course you sit out and get that. Kevin Durant's going to be back. They've got James Harden. This will be one of the first games of real tough competition that they're going to face with all three of their stars in the lineup. Uh, nope, none of them played. And then they just full on give up and quit and forfeit and take Joe Harris out. Blake Griffin doesn't play. It's like, what are we even doing? Like, what are they paying these guys for? If I'm an owner, if I'm a GM, what are we paying you for, Kyrie? What are we paying you for, James? So, and if they want to like do this self-preservation and like prolong their careers, that's their prerogative. But the NBA needs to then say, okay, you know what? We're going to not do as many back-to-backs. In fact, we're not going to do any. We're going to shorten the season by 10 games. We're going to lengthen it by a month and make sure that you guys have all sorts of recovery time, but you need to play every single game unless you have a legitimate injury. That's what they need to do. And it, it needs to go both ways. The NBA needs to say, look, okay, we, you guys need to play. And then the players can say, look, we want our careers to last longer than 10 seasons. I don't want to have to retire after nine years or whatever. And then, it, then they can find it back and forth and come to an agreement. But we can't have guys that are getting paid tens of millions that are the reason people tune in or the reason people buy tickets. And then they play, they sit out 25 games a year. What is that? That's a fourth of the season. It's almost a third of the season, actually. 
Like they, that just can't go on. It's a, it's the, the league is too player friendly. The owners have to crack down. The commissioner has to crack down. They have to demand they're the boss. Like if you have a boss at work, like they tell you what to do and like, that's okay. That's their job. They're the boss. Like, so do your job, Adam Silver, do your job owners, get your product on the court. Like that's what we're paying for. That's what makes you money. If I'm a TV network, I am pissed. I'm ESPN right now. I'm pissed. Really? You're going to, you're, this is the product you're putting on the floor. We paid you all this money and this is the product you're putting on the floor. Everybody's tuning out. All those, all the, all the companies that paid to advertise during that game, which was set up months ago, maybe even years ago in advance. What good did they get last night? I tuned out super early. The second anyone tuned in and realized James Harden wasn't even playing, we, we, we knew that Kevin Durant wasn't going to. Then we knew that Kyrie wasn't going to. Then you tune in and James Harden's not even playing. At that point, how many people just walked away? It's like, ah, it's late. I'm going to do something else. I almost didn't. I'm a diehard jazz fan who has a podcast, and I almost didn't watch. So advertisers didn't get their money's worth. Fans didn't get their money's worth. Networks didn't get their money's worth. But yet the players got to collect all the money. To me, that seems a little bit off. Seems a little bit too player-friendly. The NBA needs to crack down. Okay. Moving on from that, another takeaway from that game is just how awful the Nets are without their stars. Like, they legitimately suck. I mean, that team is awful without those stars. That's what it takes to to field that type of superstardom is you basically have to have nobody around them that's any good. And so you lose their top four guys in uh, obviously the, three, the big three, Kyrie, KD, James Harden, and then I would say Joe Harris is their fourth best player. You lose those four. And they literally have nothing. I mean, you lose by 30 points, you know. So that's a takeaway. The Lakers suck too without their stars. And so that's what I've been saying. I've been saying for a while, it would not be surprising. Would you be really surprised if the Jazz won the title this year? I certainly wouldn't. Would you be surprised if the Bucks did or if the 76ers did? I wouldn't. So to me, there's there's a chance out there. The door is open because we're less than two months from the playoffs and we still have Anthony Davis not playing. We have LeBron James now hurt. We have Kevin Durant still not playing. That seems to be a bit of a concern. Kyrie's still this diva that needs to take time off every other week. I think the window of opportunity is now. If you're the Bucks, if you're the Jazz, if you're the Sixers, this is your time. This is like, I was talking about how the Jazz could be the 2004 Detroit Pistons because they're such a team-oriented team. You know, they've, they don't have a real superstar, but they've got a bunch of really great players and a couple all-stars. That's the Jazz this year. Well, guess what? They also have a very similar feel right now, the season does, to the 2019 Toronto Raptors. The Raptors had no business winning that title until what happened? Kevin Durant went went down with an injury. Klay Thompson had one he was battling. And the Raptors sneak in and get a title. It was an earned title. Like, they deserved it. Would they have gotten it had, had Kevin Durant played? Nah, not a chance. So, this is the year, but nobody nobody's going to remember that or care a couple years from now. And even now, I do remember it, but I don't care. Like, the Raptors were a fantastic team. That's part of the game. Injuries happen, and the Raptors won. That could be the Jazz this year. Like, the Nets, I don't know if the Nets are going to be at full strength and full, uh, you know, synergy and chemistry at any time soon. Uh, the Lakers, the same. Their two best players are out with an injury right now. There's a chance they're just being like super, super cautious, which is another thing the NBA needs to look at. Look, if we're just going to like sandbag until the playoffs, let's just somehow make the playoffs longer and make the season shorter, but make the season matter more. I mean, that's what the NFL does. That's so, so good. Every game, the season's so short that every game matters. Like you drop a game in the NFL or you drop a game in college football. 
that really, really hurts your chances at winning the title. In the NBA, it's like, no, we can coast. We'll be the four seed, the five seed, and we'll be fine. You know, we'll we'll have an easy first round matchup. Second round, we'll be fine. We can get past them because we've just been coasting anyway. You know, they need to fix it. Anyway, okay. Now, that was good. That was good. Uh, I did get that all off my chest. It's a very unpopular opinion, I know. I know that uh, everyone else is scared. You know, you saw Steve Kerr the other day. One more thing, actually. Steve Kerr's uh, on a podcast straight up says that he had more fun during last year's horrendous Warrior season where they won like 15 games. He straight up said he enjoyed that more than he did the year before where they went to the finals and lost to the Raptors and they won like 60 something games. And he very much talked about how it was drama and people had agendas. And he straight up says that and, and, and a guy on Twitter, you know, says it, quotes him. And then Steve Kerr goes to the mic to call this this reporter guy out by name and basically drag his name through the mud as if he misreported something. And all the guy did was say exactly what Steve Kerr said. And why? Because Steve Kerr is scared to death of Kevin Durant. Why are you scared of Kevin Durant? Why are we giving these players so much power? Like, they're choosing to play in your league. Like, have control over them. Stop being so scared. So... I will do that. I will be the the podcaster out there who says the players have way too much power. They've completely forgotten their place. They've completely forgotten that their money comes from fans and media. That's literally where their money comes from. It's not even like it's not even like an opinion based thing. That is a statistical, factual economics thing. Because of the fans, because of the viewership, because of the media being able to like disperse it all over the world, that's how they make their money. And so get on the court and play. Okay. Now to defense. Draymond Green, total idiot, thinks he's one of the thinks he's the greatest defender of all time. He immediately I knew was not even in the top 10. Dug into did some more research. And this is an interesting one because there's a lot of defensive statistics. And for the record, Draymond Green is a fantastic defender. We all can agree on that. Um he's one defensive player of the year. He's consistently an all-defensive player in the NBA. Um he's a disruptor. He can guard multiple positions. He's a great defender. He is not the greatest defender of all time. He is not even on the Mount Rushmore. He is not even in the top 10. Um, But I looked at different things, and you can look at steals per game, blocks per game, rebounds per game, defensive win shares, how many times you're on the all-defensive team, how many times you won defensive player of the year. There's a lot of different things you can look at. Some of those stats didn't exist until, you know, 20 years ago kind of thing. Uh, Like Bill Russell absolutely makes my Mount Rushmore of... um, you know, defensive players. And when he played like steals per game and blocks per game weren't even recorded. Uh, he is the all-time leader in defensive win shares. I'm not sure exactly how they went back and calculated that, um, but they did. And he's the all-time leader. Um, but that's also going to be based off of, you know, length of career. Tim Duncan's second, by the way, and like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for instance, is third. Um, but he played like 20 seasons and Kareem, to be frank, just wouldn't even make my uh, top 15. You'll see here in my first team. So let's let's start with it. Starting with my All-NBA first team, All-Defense. This is for all time. This is only for defense. And I want to say that I tried to like, because my Mount Rushmore is not going to have, I'm going to save Mount Rushmore for the very end. My Mount Rushmore is not going to be based on position at all. My all-defensive teams, I tried to make it pretty position-oriented, you know, a guard, a wing, a forward, a big, and a big kind of thing, at least. Um, I would say very confidently that the best defenders of all time are big men. Uh, they They just can disrupt the game more, and it's how you impact the game, right? Like, we talked about this with the Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert debate, like, who's the better 
defender. And while Ben Simmons might be able to guard a wider range of people, in the end, who's having the bigger impact on the game defensively? It's Rudy Gobert, and it's not even close. And so you're going to see a lot of bigs on my list. I tried to like break it up positionally as best I could. So it is within reason, you'll see. Uh, for those on YouTube, you're going to see it on the screen. Those of you listening, I'll go through it uh, you know, as best I can so that uh, everything makes perfect sense. But for my all-defense first team, I have at the guard position Michael Jordan, Defensive Player of the Year, averaged a ton of steals. He was a He's one of the all-time leaders in steals. He could defend anybody, mega athletic, pretty long, uh, quick, so Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen at the wing. I would say Scottie Pippen is the greatest wing defender, the greatest front court defender um, or back court defender rather that we've ever seen. He could guard, he guarded point guards regularly. He was six foot seven, super, super long, um, total disruptor. Scottie Pippen at the wing, Dennis Rodman at the forward, which by the way, that was all three of those guys played on the same team uh, for several years with the Bulls, won three titles. Dennis Rodman, this guy was played so much bigger than he actually was. He was a rebounding machine. Uh, he won Defensive Player of the Year twice, I believe. Yeah, two, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. Um, this guy was such an annoyance. I watched him so many times, especially I think back to those series against the Jazz uh, with the Bulls, and then even before that when he was with the Pistons against the Bulls. Um, I saw him with the Spurs. I mean, this guy could flat out defend just about any position, and he was a rebounding machine. And the the way he would annoy Carl Malone, pulling the chair out, you know, where he's like gets Carl Malone posting up, bodying him back, and then he just like whoop. I mean, he had so many little tricks that he did that made him a tremendous defender. So Dennis Rodman, uh, Ben Wallace, very similar light of uh, Dennis Rodman, only more athletic and a little bit bigger. This guy is a four-time Defensive Player of the Year award winner. Four freaking times. That's an NBA record, by the way. So Ben Wallace had to make the list. He could rebound. He could block shots. He could defend three, four, and five you know, positions, um, meaning small forward through center. Okay, and then uh, for my big, Bill Russell. Got to have him. The guy averaged 22.5 rebounds a game. He was a shot-blocking machine. Um, to me, like when I think of defense, he's actually like the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, is Bill Russell. So that's my All-NBA, uh, All-Defense first team. Second team, guard, Gary Payton. He barely made it. He barely slipped in there on the second team. He's probably the best point guard defender that we've ever had. Um, and he's the actually the only point guard, the only true point guard that I put on the list. And he did play shooting guard sometimes. But Gary Payton, he was, uh, I mean, he even though the Bulls won the series in six games, the 96 finals against the Sonics, Gary Payton did a number on Michael Jordan that made him shoot, his, I think, his lowest percentage of any finals. Uh, he still won MVP for the finals, and the Bulls still won. But Gary Payton was that type of defender that could take on any challenge. He backed down from nobody. He took a lot of pride in his defense. At the wing, I have Kobe Bryant, a very underrated defender. I mean, this guy um, could do it all. Um as well, super athletic. So if you have a lot of size, you have a lot of athleticism, you probably, and you were obviously a really good defender, you made the list. And that was where Kobe Bryant really uh, came in strong. And Kobe, just to give you some stats on him, he did not ever win Defensive Player of the Year. And I'm trying to find uh, my notes on him here. But um, he was an all-defensive selection uh, 12 times. And he was just a, a tenacious defender. I mean, he could break up passing lanes. He could get up right in your shorts on ball. Um, yeah, it's Kobe Bryant. Next one, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett, the big ticket rebounds, block shots. Then you got Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem Olajuwon's a guy I thought about putting, uh, 
on the number one team and maybe knocking off like a Ben Wallace. It was right there. I tried to like, you know, keep it relatively position oriented for the most part, but Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, two-time defensive player of the year, all-time leader in block shots, absolute machine. And then Tim Duncan um, is a guy that really isn't talked about much, but this guy's number two all-time in defensive win shares. Um, on top of that, you know, he could rebound, he could block shots, he was agile, like he had kind of the same types of things that I'm talking about. And again, I'm trying to find his name here to give the full stats. Okay, 15 times, 15 times he was an all-defensive selection. 15 times, that's a lot of That's a lot of times. Did not ever win Defensive Player of the Year though. Okay, on the third team, Sidney Moncrief. This is one guy, in addition to Bill Russell, that I just never saw play. So this is a reputation thing. For him and Bill Russell, it's a reputation thing. All the other guys on my list, I saw them play personally many, many games, many, many times, regular season and playoffs. Uh, Sidney Moncrief and Bill Russell are the exception. I did not see them play. But Sidney Moncrief is a guy that you just, he won two Defensive Player of the Year awards, and you just hear, he was 6'3", so he was a, a kind of a bigger guard, especially for his day, uh, for point guard position anyway. Um, I shouldn't say bigger, but he wasn't like a teeny little guy. Um but he was just a tenacious on-ball defender. You, you hear about it all the time. So this was a reputation one. Uh, the backups, the honorable mentions I had behind him, by the way, were Chris Paul and John Stockton. All-time leader in steals, John Stockton. Chris Paul, I would say, is a more athletic version of John Stockton defensively. Uh, at the wing, I had Kawhi Leonard, two-time defensive player of the year. Dwayne Wade, I had as kind of an honorable mention behind him, the all-time leader in blocks for guards. Uh, also was known for getting a lot of steals. Uh, Dwayne Wade was a, a fantastic defender, especially at his peak. At the forward position, I have LeBron James. And as an honorable mention for him, I put Alonzo Mourning. I know they don't play the same position, but Alonzo Mourning is a guy that was one of the greatest defenders ever. I mean, he was blocking nearly four shots a game in his, at his peak of his career, 3.9. Um, but LeBron, at the peak of his career, he's he's in the top, where is LeBron in all-time defensive win shares? LeBron is 16th all-time in defensive win shares. Um and LeBron at his peak, I mean, this guy is a freak athlete. His chase down blocks are one of the most spectacular things in all of sports. So LeBron at his peak performance was a fantastic defender. You could argue that he should have won one Defensive Player of the Year award. He never did uh, win one. I believe it was Mark Gasol that won it. And there's a lot of controversy around that one that maybe uh, maybe LeBron should have gotten it. But um, okay, and then moving forward uh, to the bigs, Dwight Howard and David Robinson. Dwight Howard is another guy who I believe was a four-time Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going to double-check myself right now while I say that. He was a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. Excuse me. Um, and then David Robinson, who David Robinson is one of the all-time leaders in blocks. Three blocks for his career. Three blocks a game for his career. To put that into perspective, Rudy Gobert, who I had as an honorable mention, by the way, he averages 2.2 for his career. And he's like the shot-blocking machine right now, right? Dikembe Mutombo was the other one I had at the for the bigs as an honorable mention. So that is my all-defense, all-time, all-defense, first, second, and third teams. For my Mount Rushmore, by the way, and by the way, you probably saw Draymond Green did not make the list. There's 15 guys plus honorable mentions of one, two, three. There's six honorable mentions. So we're now up to 21 players, and I still have not gotten to Draymond Green. And this was like I did this honestly and sincerely. There are you could argue I'd put Draymond Green ahead of like a John Stockton because that was a position-based honorable mention. 
But there's but but Draymond Green does not even make my top fifteen, and I just kind of stopped at that point. And I for sure would put Matumbo, Morning, and Gobert ahead of Draymond Green because they impact the game more, right? Um, but for my uh, for my Mount Rushmore, so we're now we've this was kind of position oriented. I tried to keep it close. So you'd think I'm just going to pull four guys because Mount Rushmore has four people. You'd think I'd have four guys as pull off the first team. That's actually not what I'm going to do because I'm not going to care at all about positions. So my Mount Rushmore uh, all-time greatest defenders of all time is going to be Bill Russell, Dennis Rodman, Ben Wallace, and Hakeem Olajuwon. Those are my top four all-time. Scottie Pippen would be the fifth, but he just didn't have the same rim-protecting impact that these other guys did. He didn't rebound the same way. He wasn't – I mean, he 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 would be fifth. If I had to – if they were going to carve out a fifth – you know, face in the mountain, Scotty Pippen would be the fifth face I put there. But for me, it's Bill Russell, Dennis Rodman, Ben Wallace, and Akeem Olajuwon. Those four guys are the greatest defenders of all time because they had a tremendous impact on the game, both on ball, rim protecting, rebounding, blocking shots. They really could just do it all. doesn't mean they could defend every position, but that's not really what's important. It's what is your overall impact on the game. And that's where the big guys just have the they just have they just have the most, and those guys all either are really big or at least they played really big. Ben Wallace and Dennis Rodman played twice the size that they actually are. So that is my all-time Mount Rushmore. Um, so Draymond, I'm sorry you did not make the cut. You are a great defender. You have won Defensive Player of the Year, uh, but you are not the greatest defender of all time. Nor are you even in the top 15. But you're not retired yet. So go win another Defensive Player of the Year award or two, and we can talk again on a later podcast. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to say before I wrap up and end this uh, podcast today. The Bucks re-signed Ndamukong Sue. It's a one-year, $10 million deal. I had to make note of that. That's the one guy remaining that I was like curious, are they going to sign him? Are they not? Is he going to come back? He's pretty important. Um, one of their top defenders, I'd put him like third, fourth most important defender on that team. He's back. The Bucks have the entire band back. And I mean, who's stopping them from getting the, to get to the Super Bowl again? They just won it. The Bucks look legit. The Bucks look legit. It's going to be Bucks and Chiefs again, I think. We'll see. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Follow us on social media. You guys are awesome. I will see you tomorrow. I am out. Peace. We got the strength. We got the Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. We are warriors!